who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Where old stories take on a new life and the world is teeming with possibilities. Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with. Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Buffering the Vampire Slayer. I am Jenny Owen Young. And I am Kristen Russo. And holy shit, today we are sitting down to have a conversation with Seth fucking green what a time to be alive truly a delicious delectable i'm trying to think of anything having to do with a werewolf time to be alive lupine time to be alive there you go before we get into this very special interview we want to tell you a couple of things first of all the reason that we got to sit down with seth is that today june 7th is the day that his directorial debut uh changeland a film that he wrote starred in and directed, debuts, comes out Yes, it's in theaters, it's uh, cable on demand, and it's also on iTunes. So there's a lot of ways for you to get at it. Truly. uh, And put it into your eyeballs. Yes. Um, And before we talk to Seth about the movie and, of course, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we have a couple of announcements, uh, news things for you. First of all, today's June 7th, but on June 29th, which is a Saturday, I will be in New York City, where I live, uh, at Housing Works Bookstore doing the 7th Annual All Ages Pride Party. It is quite literally one of my favorite two events. Can you guess what the other one is, Jenny? Is it prom? It sure is. Uh, One of my favorite two events of the entire year. And uh, we have music from Kississippi, music from Adult Mom. We have Urban Word New York City doing slam poetry. I will be hosting. It's from two to four. You can find all the details anywhere you follow me. So um, look that up and be there if you're near New York. Yeah, that's going to rock. It's going to rock. Uh, I'll tell you what else is going on. What's going on, Jenny? Uh, well, today's not just the day that Seth's movie comes out, but it's also the day that the songs from season four album is available on Spotify, on iTunes, <laughs> wherever you get digital music. Bandcamp, it's everywhere. You can even band candy. I was like, what about band candy? No, no, no. You can even order a CD if that's what your preferred listening format is. What a delightful collection of songs we made for you. Uh, Please listen to them, and thank you. 
got me so restless. That's the one. That's good. It's a jam. It's always in my head. Hmm. So uh, also there's a bonus Hush. You get both versions of Hush yep, uh, yep. on the digital download or the CD. You can go to bufferingthevampireslayer.com and click on shop to find the CD, which is up for pre-order now. You can also find out that we have, well, we have so much good shit. I mean, really, truly. I'm obsessed with our merch store. I have one of everything. <laughs> uh, as do I. I've been drinking a lot of water out of our beer stein. Oh, <laughs> Very nice. Keeping hydrated. I have my dry, warm months. I have my beer stein in the freezer for like a hot oh, summer day. Sure. You know when yep. I want a cool, frosty beer Not where I also mood. smash the patriarchy. Uh-huh. We have new crop tops that are blue. The Girl Gang crop top now in blue. Uh, it's a different cut. It's pretty exciting. I'm excited to get mine. Uh, and hats and pins and shirts. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. Uh, we also have a sale going on this weekend from today until uh, through Sunday. You can get 15% off on everything, including the brand new CD. So that's cool. You just need to use a special code that I made for you. It's on theme today. Do you know what it is, Jenny? Is it gathering? Incorrect. Is it shindig? It's so, you're getting warmer. Is it hootenanny? It is hootenanny. Is it H-O-O-T-E-N-A-N-N-Y? How did you, yes, I think. I couldn't follow it. Trust me. I trust you. Uh, Use that code. You'll get 15% off this weekend on anything in our store. How exciting for you. Uh, You know what else is exciting for you? I do, I really do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, The next thing you'll see from us in your feed on the blessed day of Charisma Carpenter's birth, July 23rd, will be our interview with her. Oh, my God. Oh, my God is right. What? A, I just, is this the best of all possible worlds? It I really is. I mean, I don't know what's happening, Jenny, but I'm here for all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our yeah. conversation with Charisma, you know, what's, what's really cool is like, so now we've had conversations with several people, but probably the biggest interviews we've had have been James, Charisma, and Seth. They've all mm-hmm. happened in succession, and they have all been so different. Like, yeah. our conversations have been so markedly different with all of them. Some of them focus on Buffy more. Some of them focus on life more. With Charisma, we really got into, like, some politics, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. isn't a surprise if you follow her on social media. It's going to be a blast. You should get excited. But before you spend all of your excitement over there, you should probably direct some of it over here. Uh, one last thing before we get into our conversation with Seth is that if you are a patron supporter, a couple things for you to know. If you're a $25 supporter, well, shit, thank you. Uh, and the next exclusive batch of merchandise goes out in July. There's a poll up now. It goes down on June 10th. So if you want to vote on what kind of shirt and pin you want to go out in July, get on over there mm-hmm. and uh, put your votes in. Jenny has voted more times than are legal for I Love Hunks. So you've got to yeah. really vote to make sure we balance it out. Or just vote for I Love Hunks. Or just vote for I Love Hugs. Um, also, check out our calendar on our website, aforementioned, bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Uh, you can find out all of the fun things we have going on this summer for our patron supporters, a comic book club with me, concerts with Jenny. Yes, yes. We're doing, yeah, go oh, ahead We're going to do a watch of the original pilot of Buffy. Yes. So fun. Which I've never seen. Have you me seen it? Me neither. Woo, wow. What a day it's going to be. What about that? So, um, yeah, you're probably excited about all of that, but probably you're more excited for us to shut up so you can hear us talk to Seth Green. Hell yes. Oh, hello. Uh, We're here in Burbank, California, with a very special person whose name rhymes 
with Beth Steen. That was mm-hmm. was that a good intro? Yeah. I think right. I went to summer camp with someone named Beth. <laughs> <laughs> We're here with Seth Green. <laughs> Holy shit. Seth, thank you so much for taking the time out to sit and talk with us. No problem. Do you guys always uh, come up with a rhyme scheme for your guests? No, that was... You were very special. So, oh, thanks. Yeah, I hope you feel... <laughs> I definitely feel it. Um, We're very excited to be sitting down with you to be talking to you. You are, as I'm sure you're aware, a pretty integral part of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. uh, And our listeners are beside themselves that you've sat down to talk with us today. Oh, sweet. So we thought we would start at the very beginning, as, you know, one is wont to do. And you've been acting since the early to mid-80s, at least by our research. Um, And we wanted to know how you got into acting to begin with. Uh, it was just a, a fortunate series of events. I, I really wanted to be acting. And um, when I was six years old, I tracked down an on-camera training school in Philadelphia and uh, sort of learned how to work in front of a camera or do commercials and things like that. And then uh, the people that ran uh, that school, the one of the main teachers there, he, he was married to a talent manager uh, that represented uh, hundreds of kids uh, out of New York and New Jersey and, and Pennsylvania. And so I got to audition for her and then she sent me out on auditions and I was just really lucky. Uh, got the first couple things that I went out on and, um, nice. you know, I love kept, the, kept it up as hard as I could. I love <laughs> the part where you're a six-year-old yeah. researching well, the way to get yourself on <laughs> How do I break in into this? Yeah. How do I get in here? Yeah, I, I mean, I recognize that that's unusual after the fact, but um, <laughs> at the time it felt, it felt really... Um, I, I knew for certain, which I which I recognize is a very fortunate thing to have as a young kid. I knew for certain that being a performer is what I what I do. And so you're from the East Coast. You're from is yeah. it Philly area. Is yeah, that I what grew you up said? in Philadelphia. Uh, and when... uh, quite quite literally where Will Smith grew up, West Philadelphia. Born, born you are raised. born and raised. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when did you make the move out here to LA? Uh, I got to come out to LA a bunch of times, both for auditions and work. Uh, but then I moved out for good uh, right after I turned sixteen. Wow. And like, how did you know when you were a kid, like what kind of performative activities, I guess, were you drawn to? Yeah. Like, what was your kind of like immediate path to? Uh, well, uh, before I even knew that it was a thing, I loved mm-hmm. um, mimicking voices or uh, doing imitating cartoons or um, singing and dancing. And, uh, you know, I put on shows and dress up in costumes for my family. And <laughs> I was yes, just always yes. really attracted to do it. And then, um, I think it was Sesame Street or something like that showed a how commercials are made. And they made the point of the the woman cleaning her kitchen for the Spick and Span commercial does not enjoy cleaning her kitchen. She's (laughs) part of an advertisement uh, mechanic that helps sell products to people. And an actor is someone that does that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a job. That's a that's a job for me. And then um my mom was an art teacher at a, a summer camp, mm-hmm. and um, the kids put on a talent show, and I got to be a part of the interstitials between the performers, you know? The, mm-hmm. They had crafted this whole Star Trek parody, and uh, they let me play the captain, and we were traveling through the galaxy yes, yes. recruiting talent, and so we'd find somebody and <laughs> put on a sketch or perform, and oh my God. I would say, well, those guys are great. Let's, let's get them aboard, and... <laughs> Sure. You know, that kind of thing. So advanced for a summer camp performance. It like, really was. Really and then um, she worked at another summer camp and the kids put on um, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. And I begged them to let me be a part of it. Um, and looking back, you know, they they seemed like adults, but they're probably 
15 and 16 yeah, years yeah. old. <laughs> right. And so they, they wouldn't let me be a part of the first play that they put on, but then they, I begged them so much and was so annoying that when they, in the <laughs> second term, put on Hello, Dolly, they gave me a single line at the end of the play. Yes. Um, and that was it. I honestly, I don't know how else to explain it, but like all the rehearsal, all of the prep, all of the costumes and the song and the choreography, like learning all that. And then, you know, the night of the play and hitting the stage and saying my line and doing the review and then all of us taking the bow. I was like, ah, oh, this is what I do. Oh yeah. I've done, I don't know how else to explain it except that I was, I felt wholly certain that everything was correct in that moment. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so you moved down when you were 16 <laughs> Yeah. and it was several years later that you came to Buffy. Yeah. And how did that happen? Like, you know, did you know the show? Were you called specifically for the role? What was that entry point like? Um, I mean, I just auditioned through the same channels that everybody else did. But I knew Sarah because we had uh, met in New York and done commercials together when we were Mm -hmm. kids. And I knew Allison because we had done uh, a movie called My Stepmother's an Alien Mm -hmm. years before. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had heard of Joss Whedon. I got to be in the original Buffy movie. Um, I played a, a vampire that turns, uh, what's that kid's name? Sasha. One of the bad, the, one, of the bad guys, one of the jock guys. I'm the, I'm the vampire oh, that turns yeah, him, yeah, but it's yeah. off camera. And they wound up cutting the moment and, and like intercutting this thing with Paul Rubin. So it looks like Paul made him. Um, God. But I got to spend that night with Paul and I got to meet Donald Sutherland. And um, I can't remember if that's when I met Luke Perry. Uh, but then I wound up getting to do 90210 a couple of years later. <laughs> so I got to hang out with him there. But but auditioning for the movie was just that I just or for the for the show rather was just that I just came in and auditioned I think I read for casting I don't even think Joss was in there until like my second session mm. and so you you knew obviously of the Buffy sort of character but yeah. hadn't seen the first season or anything like that yeah and it's also you know I've seen I've seen so many things come and go I've seen so many pilots and so many shows oh, and yeah. you sort of get an attitude of like all right good luck guys yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And uh, a network like the WB, which was still sort of becoming organized Mm -hmm. and still an external UHF cable channel with a very limited release, it it, it all just felt like work. As an actor, you just expect that you're going to hopefully get to do a bunch of different kinds of projects without any real expectation. And so the fun of it is getting to collaborate with people you know or getting to play something new or different. When you when you read for the role and then uh, found out that you got the role, yeah. what was known to you about Oz at that point? You know, was, was he a couple episodes or? Yeah. Yeah. They, there was no real plan. Like, I didn't know that he was going to be a, a werewolf until I was already cast and we'd done a, like several episodes of it. Um, it was it was just this idea that a, you know, a kind of quirky, subversive uh, guitarist for a band who liked Willow, you know? So she's not mm-hmm. your prototypical, she, she, she's not like the glamorous uh, romantic star of the show. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so this was like a fun opportunity to uh, play a character that was, you know, that got to, I don't know, just, just show a cool relationship. All the dialogue was so excellent. Like the way that it was written was awesome. And plus Allie and I got on so well. Since you mentioned, obviously a big part of Oz's character at, the start and throughout, I guess, is that he's in a band who plays guitar. <laughs> yeah. uh, were you? Did you come into the role with like guitar experience, or was that something that you? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
I had wanted to learn how to play guitar. Okay, and, okay, okay. Uh, my, my buddy Brecken Meyer uh, bought me a guitar for my birthday one year and ah. uh, and bought me lessons. And uh, I t- <laughs> took a month of lessons. And I quickly realized that like what they teach you in the lessons is the most rudimentary and basic of stuff so that you sure. actually understand how to play the instrument. Mm-hmm. And um, I also saw other friends of mine who had been diligent in learning how to play the guitar. And I recognized that they had far more dedication to it than I. Uh-huh. And uh, so I just sort of stopped. I didn't take lessons beyond that. Um, and I learned all the cheating chords as opposed yeah, yeah. to learning the actual chords. But when I got this part, I sat with the actual musicians that had written our songs and mm. um, worked extensively <laughs> to get my finger placement correct. But what's funny is when the show got edited, uh, they took everything out of sequence. So they just like grabbed <laughs> a shot where the camera move worked the best or where our expression was whatever. And none of the work that I had put into actually matching the <laughs> chord progression was uh, represented on camera. And so the note that I kept getting from actual musicians was, it's real obvious you're not playing that guitar, bro. <laughs> and I was like, well, fuck, I tried so hard. <laughs> I don't know. Jenny's a musician. And when we were talking about it, you said, I don't know, the way that he was holding the chords, like you probably yeah. were thinking more about the hand positioning. Than- yeah, yeah. It all looks like... Like, you know, like, it doesn't look like it's your first time touching a guitar, yeah. which is not always the case Co- on confidence. television. Confidence yeah. is the key to a real performance. Like, yeah. that's convincing. That's convincing is how your face looks. <laughs> your hands aren't, like, just not moving, which I've had that experience, too. Right. <laughs> so, Oz comes to the show. We know a few things. You know, he's a musician, and he's interested in Willow. And right from the jump and throughout Oz's time on the series... He is a character that so many people are enamored with. Namely, he's one of the most responsible men on the show, if <laughs> if not the most responsible man on the show, right? He's super respectful of Willow. Uh, he's respectful of women in general. He doesn't slut shame. He, like, is totally cool with giving her autonomy. And a lot of people have written in to us during our time on the podcast to say, like, you know, the character of Oz really gave me very high expectations for my future boyfriend. Oh, wow. uh, and so I wonder what that was like for you. Is there a conversation around that on set? Um, was that part of your um, awareness of the role? Uh, I mean, I'm really, I just keep throwing it back to the writers because, you know, Marty Noxon and Jana Spenson and Drew Goddard and Joss, like everyone, that was their character. And I just wanted to make it feel genuine. And so I was, I was grateful because they gave me all of these points of view, they gave this character, this morality and confidence and a Zen quality. And so, mm. so my best uh, effort was just to embody that. I became aware that he was such a, like a, de- a decent and a good character. It made, it made me more aspirational, you know? That actually was mm-hmm. a, a question from one of our listeners um, it is sort of, and, and we're skipping ahead now, we'll go back for the particulars, but <laughs> Were there things about the character of Oz that influenced you as a person and, and vice versa? You know, were there things about you that influenced yeah. the character? I don't know. I mean, I, I tried to bring like comedic timing to it because there's a great opportunity in the calm lack of reaction to the character to make things very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you, you talk about what a character, what about a character stays with you. And I definitely... Um, have tried to maintain that same sense of proportionate response uh, or even like a Zen observation of a moment instead of a reaction, which I don't always <laughs> achieve, but I definitely strive for it. If you always achieved it, you'd be on yeah. a higher plane, you know? Yeah. Well, I felt like that character existed on a higher plane. <laughs> yeah. <you know>? yeah. <laughs> 
both in like self-awareness and um, self-governing. Yeah. So the dialogue that Oz has is pretty incredible. It's pretty sparse in terms of like how many <laughs> words are said, but the yeah. words are really powerful. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like just from the beginnings of this conversation that that was always the case. That was always the way that Oz was written. Yeah. I didn't like ad lib or improv anything about that. I just I, I genuinely took what they gave me and tried to make it feel real coming out of my mouth. It felt very real. Oh, uh, one of our <laughs> listeners actually wrote in um, Olivia and Olivia said that uh, they heard you speak on a podcast about your relationship to beat poets uh, when you were Oz's age. Yeah. And so sort of relatedly, like, you know, um, do you still read poetry? Uh, and, and was that a, a thing that you were sort of like into at the time? Uh, probably more at the time. I, I did a lot of study of uh, both theology and philosophy and uh, religion. And I love poetry and literature. And probably between, you know, being 18 and being... 25, I, I did the bulk of my study in those mm -hmm. areas. So that, that would have coincided with when I was making the show. That's incredibly Oz. <laughs> you know, yeah. theology, philosophy. Yeah. You got to be well-rounded. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'd always read that about uh, Stan Lee. He's one of my favorite creators, that he didn't focus just on comics or on pop art, that his fields of study were so expansive that mm -hmm. it gave him a really diverse background. And that way he had a a lot of versatility with writing and creating characters so that things didn't all feel exactly the same. And I thought, oh, that's a, that's an excellent direction to follow. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think I'd like to ask what I think is on everybody's mind, which is in the 1990s on television, uh, CGI, <laughs> beautiful, oh, there we are. the beautiful combination of CGI and practical effects. Can we talk a little bit about your transformation sequences, and also whether or not you were inside the full suit at any point, sure. or if that's all stunt stuff. Yeah, the very beginning, I got into the makeup, like the first episode that we did, I got into the makeup, and then um, uh, I had an awesome stunt guy named uh, Lee Whitaker, mm -hmm. who I got to work really closely with, and we talked about like physical movement, and uh, actually the very first episode that they did, there was like a giant guy now that I remember it, the very first time there was like a giant guy in this costume. So I did the transformation stuff. I mm. did um, uh, several stages of it. And it, that that first um, uh, where I transformed back, um, mm. we shot that in reverse, essentially. So I came in and got covered in hand laid hair. Uh, and then as whoa, they, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Can yeah. you tell whoa, us what that yeah. means? Your hand that means. So laid yeah, hair. There's like a team of five people. Uh, gluing patches of real hair to my body. Mm, um, to your skin. Yeah, directly to my skin, yeah. <laughs> and so. hum human hair. Uh, I mean, it was like... Or like, like synthetic hair. Synth I mean, it was oh. probably some kind of real something. Ooh, okay. Uh, yeah. It's a long time. I don't remember. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Glued all over the, your body. Right, yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah. and that, that first process to both do the mechanics of that, because um, they, they basically built it, right? So mm -hmm. each time they would add a little bit more and then I'd get into that position and they'd mm -hmm. film me in that spot. And then I'd go back to the truck and they'd add a bunch more until eventually that we've got like the full face pieces and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. It took about nine hours. God, it's like <sighs> a stop motion. Kind of. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Similar to that. But we did uh, three episodes by the old process before they even custom designed prosthetics wow. for me specifically or custom made contacts for me specifically because it wasn't there wasn't a guarantee we we're going to keep doing it 
But once they were like, ah, this is this is something we're going to keep doing, uh, that was when they got the stunt guy to be in the suit, Lee, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and uh, developed all these specialty pieces for me to wear, which cut down the time of the process from, you know, seven hours to two. Wow. A little bit less hand gluing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then later on, I was able to get somebody else to double me in the makeup. Yes, yes, yes. So I didn't yes. have to do like the midway stuff. <laughs> sure. Do you remember finding out when the werewolf art, like, do you remember the moment? Yeah, Joss was like, hey, man, I had this idea where I think Oz is a werewolf. And I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Sweet. What do you What do you want to do? And he's like, oh, I think you got bit by your cousin or something. <laughs> a lot of questions about that cousin actually yeah. we we posted about this interview and people were like can you ask seth if he knows how uh his cousin got turned i'm like guys it's not yeah it's not hit it's but, not him but that response <laughs> is at the very core of the character i feel like we calls his aunt, uh, aunt or his grandma mm -hmm. or whoever it is and he's like hey uh, is jordy a werewolf yeah okay just check, just check. And I was like, oh, this is the this is the absolute fundamental of this character. Right, right. Yeah, totally. That was what uh, what Joss told me early on was that Oz would have the same reaction to a romantic overture as he would to a well aerated can of spray cheese. Sure. Oh man, that sure. cheese came out great. Like, yeah. look at this, look at this grouping. It's flawless on the <laughs> directly in the center. You know. Oh, you want to get married? Let's do it. <laughs> That's very helpful. <laughs> yeah, that really puts a line through it all. Yeah. Is that, and, and that was one of our questions too, right? Just in a general sense, what was your work like with the character? Maybe in the beginning, it was different from towards the end. What was the journey like in terms of preparing for the character and um, preparing for the, the scenes and all of that? Uh, I mean, I just, I tried to know my lines uh, forward and backward. That was really my, my MO. And then uh, if I ever had questions, everyone was incredibly informative and, and forthcoming with it. Uh, but but more than anything, this the character is meant to, uh, I just practice not moving, you know, yeah. to be mm. the most still possible to, you know, not, not react to anything, but to still be absorbing information and feel alive. Yeah. Do you have um, favorite moments from the set or favorite stories? Anything that you specifically, like, comes to your mind when you think about your time on the set? I don't know. It's probably all the stuff that isn't the real stuff. Like, I just love that gang of kids. And we were all very, very close during uh, the making of it. And plus, Sarah and I had such a long history. And Allie and I had such a long history that it there was a, an incredible comfort and ease between us and also a, a real confidence in getting to work together. Mm. Um, but, you know, we'd have, we'd have really silly days where we're uh, filming out in, I think it was Torrance and, uh, you know, doing a picnic scene or whatever. And I just remember everybody getting excited because our prop guys had supplied us with a bunch of excellent picnic stuff. So we're <laughs> sitting there filming a picnic scene and the girls are going nuts over the cheese and Ellie's <laughs> requesting like extra pieces of jicama or whatever. <laughs> we're sitting there having a picnic in the middle of a functioning school with like hundreds of kids all around us. I just thought, how fun is this? <laughs> what a ridiculous job we have sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we actually, little by little as we do more interviews with the cast, we're piecing together little things. And I remember... Yeah. Um, we were talking to Sophia Crawford, who mm. did the, the stunts for Buffy, and 
she was telling us stories. A lot of the stories that she remembered were you and David and I think James maybe were the trio uh-huh. that she just said you were always like joking around and goofing, you know, making people laugh. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Da- David and I realized really early that we weren't uh, enemies and instead <laughs> got very silly and did did a lot of pranks about e- uh, each other all the time. Um, <laughs> probably the wrong podcast for this, but David, uh, for, for weeks I was coming into my trailer and finding like someone had used my bathroom aggressively <laughs> oh, and not, not bothered to flush or dispose of it. And I, Aggressive. you know, we had, our call times were like three in the morning, sometimes oh four in the morning. You come in and it's, you're just like, oh man, who, who would do this? And it went on, it went on for like a week. And then uh, <laughs> I arrived at one time and, and David's coming out of my trailer and he just has this smile on his face. I go, oh, what the fuck, man? Dude. And he goes, ah, you got me. And I was like, I was like you're, the, you're the secret pooper? Like, oh you're son of a bitch out there. Ah, all right, I'll stop. Oh my God. So you've got like a 3 a.m. call time, but he's making a point to get there at like 2.30 yeah. to just yeah. like make sure it gets done. Dedication. Well, typically his yeah. calls were earlier than mine because mm. he, he usually had a makeup call that beat mine or he had to shoot <sighs> in the dark or something. Oh, right. You got to give him credit for a dedication to a prank. Oh, baller. Yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> I wasn't really angry about it. I was just like, ah, oh, check, check, checkmate, I guess. <laughs> Oh, all right. I'm going to take us from poop back to werewolves, a yeah. sentence I really didn't foresee saying during this interview. No one sees that coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I would love to hear from you, too, about, I mean, the show in general, right? It uses demons and werewolves, et cetera, supernatural to kind of draw out bigger metaphors. Yeah. Uh, and so for Oz, the whole werewolf arc was a bigger metaphor for what was going on mm. for him. Um, and so, you know, we both, and I know our listeners would love to hear like some of your relationship to that and sort of how you interpreted the werewolf as, um, you know, a piece of Oz. I mean, I guess I just always figured that every person is sort of striving for a better understanding of themselves and how to control themselves or how to participate in in any of it and and the werewolf was just like a kind of responsibility like this character has to accept that this is something that's happening to them and so it's a little out of their control but they can at least govern the conditions of it Mm -hmm. you know so he didn't want to hurt anybody he went Mm -hmm. out of his way to uh, protect other people and keep it a secret where possible but but more than anything like maintain a, a sense of control so that he wasn't um accidentally hurting anybody else the arc right goes from that place to a place that i don't know you know i didn't watch the show as it was airing um but jenny did and um so i didn't get to have the experience live in real time of this happening but when i viewed it and i know when people viewed it live it was really jarring Mm -hmm. to have oz's character um hit the veruca arc oh sure right because it's like because he was such this like stand up like doing all the right things um and so and also because like the the prime victim in that scenario is willow who is like the like the button that they like go back to all the time when they like really want you to feel (laughs) terrible hurt willow or put willow in danger yeah uh so like detonating that arc like I think was very, very effective. Yeah. Like, well, that's the that's the thing all the writers were so good at was um, taking moments about being a teenager and uh, representing them with all of these fantastic mm. mythological metaphors um, in the same way that, uh, you know, Buffy finally, when she has sex with David, 
and that like changes his curse and he just becomes a bad guy. Right. I remember mm-hmm, talking mm-hmm. to uh, Marty and Jane about that and they were like, well, you know, the second you give it up to a guy, he just becomes a dick. I was like, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like the guy changes when he gets what he wants in, in a lot of cases and how, how, how teenage that whole axiom is. And the same thing with Oz. It's, it's like you're, you're only as safe as your, as your covenant. There, there are no guarantees in, in relationships. And so, you know, the, the same way that people get tempted by passion or they, they feel out of control with some kind of desire and that breaks the bond of a relationship, whether that's your intent or not. It's just something you have to deal with. So I thought that was super cool. Uh, I think originally they had wanted to stretch that arc out a little bit longer, mm. um, uh, but I got an opportunity to make uh, two movies and um, went to do those. And so we had to sort of adjust the schedule differently to be able to do it. And that was a pretty sure. massive time for you, right? Like yeah. you're leaving Buffy and then you you were in so many films over the course of many years, including currently right now. Yeah. Um, so what was it like to, to leave that set and journey off into the... I mean, I was real sad about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I loved the character and I loved everybody I was uh, working with. And it just didn't seem like it was possible to do both things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did everything I could to make that very clear. Uh, to everybody involved that I was not unavailable um, and that I didn't think that this was like a permanent departure. But the character had, had been conceived as a guest star. You mm-hmm. know? And all of my attachment to the show was, I, I never expected to be a, a, a regular on it. So I was, it was awesome to get to do an entire season of the show as a regular. But I also f- felt in a lot of ways like the character still was very much a supporting player. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it seemed like there was an opportunity to be able to do both things. Yeah. And plus, it's like the coolest stuff I ever got to do. I was like punching <laughs> people, throwing demons over my back. Yeah. Double fisting, <laughs> pistol grip, crossbows, like shooting flaming arrows and <laughs> monsters. Uh, it couldn't be more, couldn't be more awesome stuff. A bunch of stuff I just didn't get to do, like kiss yeah. a pretty girl and <laughs> play guitar on stage. <laughs> it was awesome. Well, Those kind two of are directly related, yeah. actually. The playing guitar, you know, it really helps helps you kiss pretty girls. It does. <laughs> Most of us work really hard to manage our time well enough to cook healthy meals, but life gets overwhelming. There are errands to run, vampires to slay, extraterrestrial beings to investigate. Luckily, there's Factor. Factor has delicious, ready-to-eat meals. They are fresh. They are never frozen. They are chef-crafted and dietitian approved And here's the best part. They're ready to go in just two minutes absolutely no cooking required. Having a selection of these meals in our fridge over the past few weeks has been a game changer. My wife and I are eating healthier and ordering takeout less, and this is not just about dinner. Factor offers over 35 different meal options to choose from each week with more than 60 add-ons. So there's breakfast, there's midday bites, and more. I have to admit, I was hesitant at first. I've never had a ready-to-eat meal that made me feel good, and I have been astounded at how delicious each meal and snack from Factor has tasted. The difference is entirely because they're not frozen. They taste as fresh as if you'd made them yourself. They're also flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week, and you can pause or reschedule your deliveries any time. Head to factormeals.com buffering50 and use code buffering50 to get 50% off. That's code buffering50 at factormeals.com buffering50 to get 50% off. 
During Women's History Month, come explore what feminism means to you with nonfiction storytelling podcast, Thread the Needle. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so mm. you, you left, but then you came back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a bunch that happens in there because when you come back, I'm saying you, when Oz comes back, yeah. uh, Oz has sort of found his center, his peace. Yeah. Um, and there's this episode, New Moon Rising, mm. which we just talked about. That's the most recent um, for us because we're just through season four. Mm. And that's a pretty massive episode for yeah. for you, for Willow and Tara, for, yeah. for so many things. So I don't know what the best end point is, but maybe just starting with the episode itself. Like, do you remember the filming of that episode, the emotions? I do. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, the the coolest thing about that is that all these kids all knew each other. So like Amber and I had, uh, we got to audition together for a Soderbergh movie that she wound up getting that uh, Jesse Bradford did called King of the Hill. And uh, so I'd met her all the way back then. And then she was also in Can't Hardly Wait as well right. was Paige who played Veruca. She's in Can't Hardly Wait too. So we all sort of knew each other and had this built-in comfort or at least familiarity. And I, I, I can't emphasize how much it just felt different on the inside. Like you watch the show mm. and you're like, oh, it's all these things. But for all these actors who've spent their entire life performing, you're still hoping you get a pickup and mm. uh, you just want to do the thing well, but nobody has any expectation of it. We certainly didn't feel like, oh, this is working. <laughs> and there's a huge audience because because on that cable platform, they're you you didn't get a sense that it was popular you know we knew from uh the early moments of the internet and the the posting board community that mm -hmm. there was at least a passionate community around it but that still only represents a small portion of um, the the desired viewership of any successful show mm -hmm. so that may be kind of a tangent but but um getting to come and film that episode it was just fun. I thought it was so fun that they'd taken her in this other direction, that they were exploring these kinds of relationships and, and also the dynamic of what happens when your old boyfriend comes back and <laughs> yeah. you're like perfectly happy with somebody and it's mm -hmm. working well. So that was cool to get to explore. I remember the only moment that I had a little bit of uh, trouble getting to was they wanted me to like smell her they wanted me mm -hmm. as an animal to pick up on something subtextual and recognize it and I remember f feeling in the moment like oh I need a little bit more connective tissue to get from A to B mm -hmm. and then when we started actually doing it I was like does this does anybody fucking buy this is this gonna work do you get that I'm doing this and then we watched it and I was like oh they just they made that awesome right, right. <laughs> where the editing combines with the acting I guess yeah but it's also there's an element of storytelling that as an actor you feel oh I've got to do more to explain or the audience isn't going to mm. connect and then you realize how sophisticated the audience is especially with those kind of dynamics and relationships that they'll fill in the gaps for you if you're really present in the moment then mm -hmm. the audience can sort of they're a lot quicker than you think I think there's something really amazing, and it is 2019 now, but um, I like that when you spoke about the relationship that, you, you know, all you said was like, I left, uh, you know, Oz left, found, got his shit together, came back, and Willow was in another thing, was happy with somebody else, right? right? That it that it wasn't necessarily on, on the nose, like, and Willow had met a, a woman and was in this, like, queer relationship and what have you, and <laughs> right. that's, how the, that's how the episode 
treated it too. Um, yeah. and, and that was really powerful. Jenny and I are both queer women and there's a lot of conversations that we have around sexuality in the show. Um, so the, the Willow Terra arc is, is so important and yeah. so powerful. Um, and the way that it was handled was so responsibly wonderful. Yeah. Some of that's just timing. You know, I, I always appreciate when, um, you know, your media or your, your movies or your TV shows that they just sort of treat the relationships the way that they are. I love, you know, I grew up on a lot of very special episodes of this or that where they, they make a big push and everyone like recognizes that when now is the time we're going to be talking about the issue. And right. I feel like that's less informative to the audience than something that is just represented as completely uh, organic and uh, natural or, you know, yeah. not not some kind of complicated thing to wrap your mind around. Totally. Yeah. I'm going a little off script for a second. Um, There's a script? Yeah. <laughs> Don't look behind the curtain. Um, but hearing you talk about your relationship to Amber and to Allison and, and talking about um, New Moon Rising specifically, immediately the image that came to my mind was from the 20th anniversary oh, yeah. reunion, the we photo shoot. <laughs> yes, I mean, the, the photo of the three of you together really exploded our collective internet at the very least. <laughs> also, it was completely organic. So they sat Allie in the middle of us. And, uh, and uh, I was like, I was like, oh, we should be holding hands. And Amber's like, oh, me too. And so that was, we were like, oh, this is perfect. Let's all just be holding hands here. <laughs> it's just amazing, you know. It was yeah. the end we all we all wanted to see. Oh, good, sure, sure. good. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry to to go off our. No, that was know? really. I mean, that was fun for everybody because everybody loves the show, and uh, especially in retrospect, you realize what a what an incredible privilege it was to get to be a part of something so significant. We all knew it was it was meaningful. I mean, for me, it was like some of the best writing I'd ever gotten to say, and mm -hmm. one of the coolest things I'd gotten to be a part of. You know, um, but the way that it has continued to evolve. After that, I love that. Um, and I, I've always said that Buffy fans are almost immediately identifiable because <laughs> of the depth of their passion and compassion. But it, it's the generations post now that the show is accessible in all of these ways. And the people that are sharing, people that watched it in real time as teenagers who are now sharing it with their kids. And yeah. I love, I just, I really love getting to be a part of it. Yeah, the, the, viewership the fans of yeah. the show are uh, us included but i'm not trying to talk us up but i i think that our experiences um with them over time has been really powerful too and we our podcast is spoiler free uh, oh, wow. this this won't be spoiler uh -oh. free and they'll know we'll warn them <laughs> but um i think it underlines how how many people are still coming to the series for the first time i love that now which is really incredible mm. um yeah. How has your relationship to the Buffy viewership been over the years? You know, like, have you participated in cons and, and what has that been like? I used to go to cons as a fan, like, you know, San Diego. I've mm -hmm. been going there since 95. And so becoming something that is participating in the other side of it, I'm, I'm ever conscious of the, the fan experience in that. And so mm -hmm. I never want to go and give less mm -hmm. or go and be in a headspace that I can't receive. You know, you meet, you rapid fire meet like 2000 people yeah. and you get like 60 to 90 seconds with each person. And I know what precedes that is like weeks of anticipation mm -hmm. and hours in line. And then you get this brief interaction and I'm just always conscious about making that <laughs> 60 oh, to 90 yeah. seconds, like what that person stood in line yeah. for without, you know, overdoing it or, mm -hmm. or, or like sort of desperately performing. I really just try and make that a real moment. Yeah. Um, 
I don't always have the the goods to, to back that up. <laughs> and I, I, I make a point of not showing up unless I can be there. We had a, a hilarious experience um, at really our first con, which was in the UK. It's where we met James Marsters. Sure. And, you know, obviously he knows what a con is. He knows yeah. exactly what you just said. He's but... very convincing in real life. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did not. And so after our first day at the con, we were just like laying on the floor, essentially, in the in the green room. And he just thought it was funny. He was like, is this your first con? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay hydrated, ladies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're here for a couple of reasons, right? We're here to talk to you about you and Buffy because we talk about Buffy, yeah. but also because this episode is airing on the day that your directorial debut movie, Changeland, is released. Oh, great. This is the first time that you've directed um, a feature. Yeah. And so just, again, jumping into the beginning, how and why, right? Like, where did this movie come from <laughs> mm -hmm. and what made you want to um, step into the role that you have with the film? Yeah. Uh, I, it's a very it's a very strange thing because it wasn't it's not as if I have set out to be a director or that mm -hmm. um, directing is the is my aspiration or that I want to abandon acting in favor of like I'm an I'm this kind of artist. Uh. Um, directing is something that I realized uh, young that I had a, a capacity for um, by working so much with so many directors and seeing uh. all of the ways that directors did things right or wrong or mm. genuinely just paying attention to what the result of specific action was uh, against making something. So even on doing Buffy, you know, we had different directors every episode. So getting the experience, not just from the actor's POV of a new director each week, having to jump into this well-oiled team and you know, not only put their own spin on it, but also not interfere with what makes the show work in the first place. Yeah. So I had a lot of practical experience. And when I started uh, directing Robot Chicken, I realized that I had a um, ability to communicate with actors just because mm -hmm. I love actors and because I am constantly on the other side of that exchange and uh, found myself longing for a particular type of communication or a particular type of handling or a way I wanted my questions to be answered. And so I just applied all that uh, over the last 15 years of making this show. And I've gotten to direct a bunch of different things from animated stuff to live action shorts. But this was the first time I took on a live action narrative feature. And to be perfectly honest, it was a matter of course. It, it was not that um, I'm like, oh, I'm going to direct this movie. And I'm going to show people <laughs> what I do. It was more I had this idea. Um, and I knew this idea was not going to be able to get a big budget. And I also <laughs> knew that the way that I was seeing this idea uh, work was going to be difficult to translate. And, you know, getting someone to want to direct your idea, it, it, it presumes a lot of things. It's mm. that they feel the same way about your mm. idea, that they have a, a passionate investment in telling this story, that they... Um, understand all the, the subtleties or even the tone that you're trying to represent. And so for me, I was like, oh, we're never going to get a lot of money to make this movie. And if I wanted to make it, the, the most efficient and least expensive way to execute this would be for me to direct it. Mm -hmm. And also because I was directing it, I knew that I would have a, a direct line to actors and to communicate with them, not just to get them on board for the project, but to um, uh, work with them over the course of the production to achieve the result uh, of the movie. Yeah. So how it happened was uh, I went on vacation with my buddy Dan and we had, you know, a little 
more than 48 hours in Thailand. And we, uh, actually, I guess it was like four days we spent and we did exactly what's in the movie. We stayed at that hotel and we uh, went out on speedboats and we went out on kayaks and we looked through these sea caves and we went to James Bond Island. And uh, then we took a boat to another island, which is kind of like a Las Vegas in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Um, <laughs> and everything that happened to us felt like a movie right when we got there. Uh, all these places that are typically honeymoon destinations uh, treated us as if we were a romantic couple. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you try and explain for the first couple of days, and I ah, were just friends. And they're like, yes, we've made this special dinner. And we had all these candles and we covered your bed in rose petals. And we got you this milkshake with two straws. And it, it, everything was so ridiculous. Right. But I just kept saying to my buddy, I'm like, are we living in a movie right now? And by the time we got to Koh Phi Phi, which, you know, is the the island that has a Muay Thai ring uh, in the middle of an open air bar and tourists fight against locals and tourists fight against each other. I was like, this is a feature and I don't know what it is. But I, in my mind, it was something like a sideways or a garden state or, mm -hmm. you know, just about friendship and life and you know the, the the choices and decisions you make and the weight of them in the moment and i i, I love the idea that you know people people follow all different paths for all kinds of reasons mm -hmm. and you i've seen a lot of my friends waking up in the middle of their 30s and and suddenly realizing that they're not where they want to be or they're in a relationship that they're not in love or they're at a job that they hate and it it all feels very desperate and final um, and I wanted to present the idea that, you know, your, your life is yours. Um, mm. And it's not about what anybody else did. It's not about what your parents did. It's not about anything that anybody's ever told you. Like, you're the only one that stewards your, your own uh, destiny. Mm -hmm. And so, obviously, there's circumstances that are beyond your control. But you are in charge of your own happiness. Um, mm. And it's never too late to completely change your mind. Yeah. Yeah. So... I knew all of the set pieces and I had all these backdrops in mind because I'd had this incredibly cinematic experience with my buddy. And then I spent the next eight years <laughs> writing a script that, wow. that emulated that. And then, you know, spent a year trying to get the money and shot the thing in four weeks and then wow. spent months editing and, and now it's coming out. And now here it is. Yeah. So your relationship to your friend in the movie yeah. it is something that really struck me um, because it's a really vulnerable and open relationship. And of course, there's the hilarity, which apparently was real life when you went with your actual friend, Dan, <laughs> um, of everybody thinking that you're a couple. But I, I do think that it's rare. Maybe it will be um, less rare as the years go by to see two men being vulnerable with each other and like talking about their feelings and that being kind of at the heart of the film. Oh. Uh, and so I, yeah. I would love to hear from you. I know, you know, we know obviously that you're friends with, with Breck and Meyer and have been, it sounds like, for forever. Yeah, we met when I was about 16. Jeez. Yeah. So is that, yeah, like, where did that come from for you? Like, that's your lived experience. Were you trying to, you know, put that message out there as well? I guess not intentionally, but I, I, I have gotten that um, response from a lot of people that mm -hmm. um, that this is a, a non-romantic, uh, deep, friendship and I, I the thing that I wanted to pay service to was the idea that you gotta be a good friend mm. like you can't just take from your friends and then expect that you'll still have a valuable friendship and mm. and I love the idea of my character calling his old buddy and saying I need you and that friend not hesitating at all to get there but also 
calling my character to task for not doing the same thing, you know, not fulfilling the same obligation. Like when Dan called Brandon, Brandon wasn't always there. Right. Yeah. And so I like the idea of that being at, at the heart of what they have to resolve. So that, you know, it's not just them talking Brandon through what he's going to do about his, what he discovers is his wife's infidelity. It, it is about them having to fix their own relationship and Brandon making decisions that he wants to be better, that he, he wants to be a better husband, that he wants to be a better friend. He wants to be a better person. You know, mm -hmm. I think he imagined in the beginnings of all of his onset that he was better. <laughs> it, mm -hmm. it, it's tough when you have a friend that is, that loves you enough to say you're fucking blowing it. Yeah. And yeah. You got to get it together. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I like the idea that, um, that that Dan is still uh, selflessly a catalyst for for Brandon to make that change. Yeah. I feel like it's more common to see like a man and a woman who are partnered, like mm. and the woman kind of being the catalyst for like, ah, you have to like open up or like we need to like shift things or whatever sure. in order to like make this relationship really right. work more or to make your other relationships work better. Um, I'm just laughing because I asked you the question about like um, masculinity and I and vulnerability, and I know that Jenny's biggest question is about WWE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the opposite, at the opposite yeah. end of the spectrum from from uh, beautiful male friendship and shared vulnerability. <laughs> Literally, the there is end, yeah. there's also Randy Orton. Yeah. And um, <laughs> prior to my uh, research for uh, this interview, I did not realize that you had hosted an episode. Yeah. Of WWE Raw, yeah, uh, and I participated. First, I was the historic first celebrity guest host of Monday Wha Night Raw. Wow! Yeah. Uh, yeah. Congratulations, yeah. and also congratulations <laughs> on your stunning victory <laughs> in a three-on-three -three tag team match in which your partners were John Cena and Triple H. Yeah. I mean, it was an elimination if you get right down to it. Like they, <laughs> the, bad, the bad guys cheated, but I got that was the first. Uh, that was my first experience meeting Randy, and uh, you know. I don't think any anybody people didn't know that I was such a fan. People at the company didn't know I was such a fan of the company or that I that I had a like long history with the brand as a, mm -hmm. as a fan. And so I, I don't think, especially in 2009, uh, Hollywood was especially respectful of the the quality of the performers and um, n not just the athleticism, but also like the actual stage presence, the ability to control an audience, understanding of like angles with cameras and I went and uh, did that whole night, which was hours long, um, and I was just blown away, blown away by how organized and professional mm. and like collaborative and awesome that whole gang was. It was, it was. I was like, I'm gonna keep working with this guy. I wound up producing a, an animated series for them <laughs> too, and then uh, coming back and doing stuff with them whenever they asked for it. But with with Randy, that was like a long relationship that formed over time because that, that night was the first night that we met. Mm -hmm. And he was real tough on me, both because we were going to be challenging each other in the ring, but also because he, he didn't know if I cared or had any respect or or anything. Mm. And then we did the whole match. And, you know, I took a hit from him. And <laughs> <laughs> he made he made contact. And, <laughs> and ultimately, at the end of the thing, he was like, oh, I think I got you there. And I was like, yeah, you, yeah, you did. And I didn't complain or anything. He was like, that's oh, great. And then I brought his clip on Conan and it got, it played really well. So then I saw him at WrestleMania following that. And he was like, you brought my clip on Conan. And I was like, it's a great clip for me too, man. <laughs> um, and so we just stayed friends over time. Incredible. Squashed our in-ring beef. You know, <laughs> in exchange yeah, dealt with it in the ring. Getting to make a movie together. <laughs> so 
Before we before we uh, pivot back to Buffy, um, because I know obviously you have about four billion things to do with the movie coming out today, June seventh, the day we're recording this interview, <laughs> um, is it's to talk just for a minute about Thailand. Like you yeah. went to Thailand eight years ago, and so you set the movie there. And I would have I would imagine that that's also um, a tricky line to walk, right? Where you want to honor a culture but also not appropriate that culture. Sure. Um, and so I wonder what that was like for you that journey um, in in walking that line. Well, you know, in in every instance, Thailand is meant to be a supporting player in the film and not a comedic device. And mm -hmm. so e even though there's certain cultural differences that you can highlight for comedic effect, what I really wanted was this place to represent a safe haven for these two friends to have incredibly um, mature and complicated conversations that they probably couldn't have in the U.S. Like when you're around mm. all the things that are very familiar to you, when you're entrenched in the life that is unsatisfying to you, it's impossible to even observe yourself sometimes. So getting to go as far away as Thailand to an environment that is uh, almost alien in its, in its differences, you look around having growing up in America and you go to this place that seems n not just picturesque, but like another planet. Mm -hmm. um, and so I loved the idea of just representing it organically. I didn't want to make it, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to make a joke out of it or in, in every instance, I was like, oh, this is something that's just happening here and, and our characters get to experience it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I just wanted it to all feel very matter of fact. I didn't want to highlight any of these things to, to make a specific point. Right, right. Yeah. Um, well, we're really excited uh, on behalf of you and for all of our listeners to get the chance to see the film. Thanks. Um, one of our speaking of our listeners, one of our listeners sort of gave us a perfect bridge between these two things. Um, Jenna on Facebook wrote in and said, since this interview is coinciding with your directorial debut, if you could go back in time and direct one episode of Buffy, what would it be? Oh, that just was not. Me, I was so focused on that, <laughs> playing that character. That 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 is the, the I, I really love the purity of just getting to perform something, and you know, having other people be responsible for the the producing and the staging and all of the organization and mm. the directing. Like I, I like, I I really, um, not that I didn't enjoy the experience of making a movie and directing myself, but I I far more prefer the experience of either of those things isolated. Like I love to yeah. really be able to focus on a character and a performance. And I, I love to be able to uh, wholly focus on uh, the, the direction of things. Yeah. But it, it was, it was just what I needed to do mm -hmm. to get this movie made. Yeah. Yeah. Just to do everything. <laughs> um, and as far as Buffy goes, we, we were so lucky with all the episodic directors that we had, I would never want to jump in and redo Something totally. that somebody sure. else already, already <laughs> Yeah, out you're working with some pretty great directors over there. <laughs> Do you have thoughts at all on the reboot, if we can even call it that? Uh, Buffy coming back? Uh, I guess I haven't heard anything concrete. I've heard a couple different versions, but, <laughs> you know, my, my opinion with reboots is, is, is pretty consistent. I feel like if whatever the new version of it accomplishes the same sentiment, the same effect, the same value uh, as the original for a modern audience, then I don't begrudge a modern audience their uh, access point, something that they can mm. own. You know, pop, pop is really about a generation claiming a particular icon or story or song. And, and um, I, it's just a, a reality that the, the older you get, the less your kid is going to 
give a shit about what you love. You know, <laughs> they may they may come to it and find their own access point to it, but for the most part, it is very difficult to get a kid to want to look at something that is even ten years old, let alone twenty, mm. and and claim it for themselves, especially if it's something that their parents still currently love. You, you just sort of can't help it when you're young. You want to have your own opinions and tell your parents that they're stupid. And you know, <laughs> you, you'll almost intentionally avoid anything that your parents are passionate about. And so I feel like Buffy is a incredibly valuable icon. And this parable between uh, growing up and the, the family that you you choose versus the family that you're born into. Mm -hmm. And that that's always a, a favorite thesis of mine. And so, you know, if the show works uh, and it gives a, a modern audience what we all love about the original, then I don't, I don't have an issue with it. Yeah. Well said. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, perhaps we can sort of end there with what you just said about the the original series and, and what it brought to us, right? Chosen family over family you were born into. It gave us so many metaphors about relationships, healthy versus unhealthy uh, mm -hmm. friendships. And I wonder if there is uh, the biggest takeaway from you, you know, like basically maybe to make it a simple question, how did your time on Buffy change and shape your life? Well, the, the thing the thing that I kept with me about Oz was just, you know, there, it, it's possible to be calm. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's possible to like thoughtfully react to things. And mm. um, I don't know. I mean, it was it was an incredibly valuable experience just because of the work I got to do and the, the depth of the relationships I got to forge with all the people involved. Yeah. Um, that's pretty significant. And then it, it, it changed fundamentally because it was the first time that I got to have an audience of my peers see me in a role that was uh, arguably attractive. You know, I'd always mm -hmm. played like quirky, weird characters. I didn't get a lot of kissing the girl and certainly didn't get like a swoonable reaction. And so <laughs> I, I that was the biggest change for me was suddenly an audience of people in my age group could could see me in that kind of role mm -hmm. um, i've gotten to build on that yeah yeah well thank you so much oh, no problem for taking the time out to talk uh, to pleasure. us yeah oz is a, a character that means so much to so many people as i'm sure you have heard oh, uh, and we'll continue to hear <laughs> um but we really appreciate the time uh jenny and i end our episodes with a howl out though we've never done that with um anyone from the show right <laughs> certainly not a werewolf well certainly not a werewolf um so if if it would please you uh, yeah. or it's or at least if you'd like to we'd love for you to howl out with us sure uh, yeah Jenny... and there's something fun that i get too because now i'm like part of this long legacy of uh, television werewolves and so... <laughs> 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 whenever i meet anybody from like you know joe manganello to uh, uh oh yeah uh, wasn't doesn't isaiah play on uh, Shadowhunters, do you guys watch that? Oh, I don't know. Shadowhunters, I have all not the, seen. All the TV werewolves, man. Also, isn't Michael J. Fox a, t a TV werewolf? That's true. I, <laughs> I don't think I've run into him to make that. Oh, my God, and Bateman, too. I, could, I, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. Next time I see Jason, oh my God, the like, secret TV werewolf. werewolves, bro. <laughs> I'm secret sure they werewolf would say the technically cinema werewolves. Yeah. So. <laughs> you get one more stamp on your yeah. uh, card if you're a cinema oh, well. versus TV. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, Jenny's going to say until next time. Yes. And then we howl. And the howl generally is shaped like, ah, ooh. <laughs> but you can really do whatever you want. <laughs> Till next time. 
Uh, uh, Where what was in the sound booth? <laughs> Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Seven ribs are completely fused. And you have no idea where this came from? No. She was sent here anonymously. Mm-mm, not she. They, maybe? Wait. I've never seen anything like this. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. My grandfather was a journalist back in the 60s and 70s. He specialized in strange stories. Who are they? How are they connected to the skeleton? Play the tape. You'll see. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. We dream about it. We both dream about it. How often? <laughs>